Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right, so glad to have you with us here today. Welcome to you all. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and we're so glad to have you worshiping with us today. If you are a guest with us, I want to encourage you first. Uh, we would love to connect with you and know that you are here, how we can minister to you, pray for you, bless you in the best possible way. So if you are a guest, the easiest way to do that is to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT there. You'll get a link sent to you. Click on that and then fill out just a couple of quick questions and send it back to us just so we can know uh, that you are here and how we can pray for you in the best way possible. That would be wonderful. So we are now slowly stepping into the holidays. We have Thanksgiving coming up, Christmas after that. So we're getting ready for our Christmas season. So a few things. Uh, hopefully you, you grabbed a bulletin when you came in. If you did not, there's some on the doors as you come in. I encourage you to grab one. Inside that bulletin, you're going to find uh, an insert that gives a rundown of things for the Christmas holiday season for us uh, here at Southview, just kind of a schedule of what's going on so you'll know what's happening. Also on that sheet of paper, you'll have a form to fill out if you'd like to order a poinsettia. We'll, we'll uh, decorate the sanctuary here in a few weeks, and so one of those things decorating that's a poinsettia. If you'd like to order one of those, you're welcome to do that through that form. You can drop it in the buckets on your way out uh, to order that. And again, that's going to give you a rundown of our holiday schedule and what is happening here. One of the things that's going to be going on December 4th is we are decorating our sanctuary for Christmas. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can just text the word decorate to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just text decorate there. Uh, that'll get you signed up for that. We'll order you some pizza. You can come hang out and help decorate. We would really appreciate that. Also, you can see our shoe boxes. For Operation Christmas Child, we have one more week for you to bring those in, all right? So you can bring those in up through the, this coming week. If you have one outstanding, bring it in, and we will send those on to the processing center so those can be sent around the world. Don't forget that. Also, our Ladies of Grace, our Ladies Ministry, they're going to have a Christmas brunch December 12th. You can order tickets. It's $15 a piece right out this door. There's a table set up where you can order tickets December 12th. It's going to be a great, great, great time. All the ladies of our church come together, decorate tables, and uh, it's just such a, a wonderful event for, for our ladies to come together and get to know one another, encourage one another in the Lord. So you can buy a ticket for that, $15 right out that door. Uh, don't forget that. We'd love for you to be a part of that. And then today at 4 o'clock, we're having our business meeting for our 2021 budget and ministry leaders. That's 4 o'clock today in the Family Life Center. Uh, so we'd love for you to come and be a part of that uh, uh, this afternoon. So we are aware uh, this past week uh, that Governor Cooper passed a new executive order limiting attendance uh, to events to 10 people or less. Uh, for us as a church, we are exempt from that, all right? Um, uh, under a First Amendment clause, we as a church are exempt from that. And so for us, we still keep gathering together, just like we are here right now. We're going to keep doing that every week. That's the plan. We don't foresee, we don't foresee that changing in any way. Um, 
So that's keep going forward. Children's ministry is still going. Youth ministry is still going. Journey groups are still meeting. All of that is still the same. Uh, we are encouraging you to wear masks. There have been a lot of questions about this, so let me just clarify the best way that I can. All right? We are encouraging you to wear a mask. They're not mandated. We know that people have health issues that cause them to not be able to wear one. But we are encouraging you to do so. All right? Um, I, I think we need to kind of ask ourselves a question. Why do we get so mad? Why do you get so mad about it? Uh, we're just asking you to be thoughtful and mindful, all right? That's all. Uh, we're not mandating them. We're not telling you that you're not allowed to come if you don't have one. Uh, but we are encouraging you strongly to please be mindful of those around you, and that's all. We understand that there are reasons and complications that cause people not to be able to wear one. Perfectly fine. We are not going to tell someone they cannot attend a worship service or a journey group if they are not wearing one. We understand that. But we're just asking you to be mindful. That's all. Just be mindful of those around you, mindful of those that might have immune issues, mindful of those that might be uh, concerned in a level that you're not. Let's just be mindful and courteous for those around us. And that's all. That's all that we're asking you to do. Because we believe 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 is true of us. That when the people of God gather together, something special happens. When we gather together to sing, to worship, to study God's word, to minister to one another with our spiritual gifts, something supernatural takes place. And we want as many people to be a part of that as possible. That's it. We think as many people gathering together to worship the Lord is a good thing. We think powerful, amazing things happen when we do that. And so we're just looking for opportunities to let as many people as possible feel as comfortable as possible to gather together. So we're encouraging you when you can't social distance, be mindful of that and just be thoughtful for those around you. And we would really, truly, truly appreciate that. I, I, I want to read a scripture to you to kind of get us started for worship today. It's found in the book of Psalms. 119 verse 32. Listen to what it says. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. So this is King David speaking to God. And he says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. There are two really neat things that this is showing us. One, the, the word enlarge means to open up and set free. The idea is, there is a reason why you're not running after God. There is something that is holding you down. There is something that's blocking you from being able to run after God. And in order for you to be set free from that, God is the one that has to do it. And when He sets you free, you're going to be empowered to now run. Run after Him. I love that. You're not walking, you're not crawling, you're not stumbling. You're running after God running after his ways, running after his righteousness when he opens up your heart and sets you free. So our prayer today is that whatever it is that's causing a lid, whatever it is that's causing you to not be able to seek and pursue the Lord, today we want to ask God that he would open that up, he would set you free, he would unlock that door. He would enlarge your heart and empower you now to run after the Lord. I want to ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. I want to pray for us as we, as we step into our worship time, okay? And, and as we worship, as we, as we sing, as we lift our voices before the Lord, 
we want to ask God that he would show us if there are any areas in our life that are being locked down, any areas of our life that are being stifled. Ask God to open up our heart, enlarge our hearts. Kick open the door that's shut so that we can run after him. God, I pray for those in this room right now that are being held down by unforgiveness and bitterness. I pray, God, that you would set them free so they can run after you. I pray for those in this room that are being held down by lust and pornography. You'll set them free so they can run after you. I pray for those in this room that are being held by addictions of drug and alcohol. Set them free so they can run after you. Lord, I I pray that we would see, Lord God, you set us free. You break off those chains. You empower us, Lord, to chase, to run, to pursue you. Give us eyes to see anything that's holding us down, eyes to see anything that's holding us back, and open up our hearts to chase you. Do this in us, Lord today. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand with us and let's worship God. Who are we that you would be mindful of us? What do you see that's worth looking our way? We have been set free. We are free in ways that we never should be. Sweet release from the grip of these chains. So we celebrate. Like hinges straining from the God, we. 
together church yes Where my 
down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. to Hebrews, it says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It cannot. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Before Him, all the earth. And so as we sing, as we celebrate, church, the work of Christ in your heart, I pray we don't miss this opportunity, how serious this is, that we gather faithfully, that we pray faithfully, that we are taught and teach each other the word faithfully. With all supplication and thanksgiving, that we pray to our God, that we seek his face, and we celebrate the truth of our maker, our God, our Lord, our King, joined together in holy worship so that he might be magnified. Let's sing.
never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, never stop. Proclaim that truth today. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, you never stop working. Never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. contrite and broken hearts today. God, I pray that if there's something we need to confess and repent, that we would do so right here, right now, either at this altar or in our hearts where we stand or we sit. God, I pray if there's something we need to praise you for, that we would let it pour out of our hearts. Scripture says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Christ died on the cross, that we will be saved. Let our hearts be forever turned closer to you, Lord, that as we sing these songs, we not only sing them, but we live them, that we believe them, that the grace of Christ would reign in our souls, that the world would see this body as something completely different, that we would gather because we love you, because we love your saints, and because we have no choice. Heal these marriages. Heal these broken hearts. Bind us together. Heal those that are sick. Point us always to you. In Christ's name. The Lord is my shepherd. He goes before me. Defender behind. No way. 
celebrate you, Lord. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you got a Bible, let's find 1 Peter chapter 5 together, all right? Thank you, sir. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one on the back of the pew in front of you. You can grab that. We'll be in page 1116 in the pew Bible if you need to do that. We'll also have the scriptures up on the screen. So, so we saw in the scripture at the beginning of the service, Psalm 119.32, King David said, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. In order for us to run after God full speed, there are things that God needs to lift off of us, right? There are weights, heavy burdens that keep us locked down. And in order for us to really run after him, he must remove those. They must be, they must be taken off, right? Um, what we're going to see today is one of those things that keeps us locked down the most is pride, and what we need God to set us free to, in order for us to run after him, is humility. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 5. I want to read this to you. So this is, is quoting from Proverbs 3.34. It's quoted also again in James 4 and then here again in 1 Peter 5. So here's a little learn, a lesson that I've learned, right? If God said it once, it's important. If God said it twice, it's kind of a big deal. If he said it three times, you might want to write that down. Three different times God says this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. The word oppose there uh, literally means to do battle with. Pride sets you at war against God. Pride sets you at war against God. Pride is at the very heart of every rebellion since Lucifer. Pride filled Lucifer's heart. He thought it could be greater to God than God, so he sought to usurp God. And pride has been at the very heart of every sin you and I have ever committed ever since. Pride is the thing that keeps us locked down from running after God. It's like walking through downtown and you're walking your past storefront and you see displays in the window with all kinds of things that you would like. And so you, you see the things and you want the things that are inside there, but there's a glass wall that's stopping you from getting to it. And in the same way, there are things in Christ that you see. There are things in Christ that you want to be true of you. There are levels of intimacy with the Lord and power in the Lord and life in Christ you legitimately want to have, but for some reason you just don't feel like you can get to it. Have you ever experienced that? You ever feel like there's something you want, but for some reason you just keep stumbling and falling short of it? Pride is the wall that's blocking you from running after God in fullness. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to you. Humility is not just one of many things that you need to grow in. 
It's not like, well, I need to grow in love, and I need to grow in patience, and I need to grow in prayer, and I need to grow in humility. Humility is not just one of the things that you need to grow in the Christian life. Humility is the soil in which everything else grows. Humility is the foundation on which everything else is going to be built. If you're not walking in humility, you're not going to love. If you're not walking in humility, you're not going to be patient. If you're not walking in humility, you're not going to forgive that person. If you're not walking in humility, you're not going to pray. If you're not walking in humility, you're not going to submit yourself to God's word. You're not going to confess sin. Humility is the soil in which every other fruit that you want to be true of you in Christ grows. Without humility, you are stuck. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Think about how powerful that verse is. Let that verse sink in just for a moment. Here are your options. War with God... Or the avenue in which God pours even more grace onto your life. Humility is the key that unlocks the blessings of God in your life. Humility is the road by which you walk down in order to experience more of the grace of God in your life. Without humility, you won't experience any of it. Pride is the reason you're stuck in the Christian life. God opposes the proud. He cuts you off. He literally declares war against you. But he pours out more and more and more and more and more grace on the humble. This is especially true in times of difficulty and trial. Humility is especially important in seasons in life where things are upended and strange. C-2020. Humility. Humility is of the utmost importance, especially in times of trial and difficulty and hardship and unknown. The Apostle Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman world, and they are experiencing immense trial and difficulty in all kinds of levels. They're experiencing difficulties in their marriages. They're experiencing difficulties at work. They're experiencing difficulties with friends. They're experiencing difficulties in their church. They're experiencing difficulties with their government. They're experiencing difficulties in their own personal life. And after all of that trial and difficulty, the Apostle Peter finds it significant and important to end his letter to them Focusing on humility. Humility. You're going to walk through a trial. You're going to walk through it well. You're going to walk through it growing in faith. You're going to walk through it blessing God. You're going to walk through it better on the other side. You're going to have to walk through it humble. Pride is going to kill you. And here's the thing about pride. That joker's sneaky. Right? Pride is sneaky. Pride is not just you walk in the room and you think you're the smartest guy in the room. Pride is not just you believe you're right and everyone else is a moron. Pride is much sneakier than that. It's much more subtle than that. Pride is camouflaged in most of our lives. Humility. 
Humility is the emptying yourself of everything so God can be all. It's emptying yourself of all of everything that you think are your rights and your needs and your desires and your goals. It's emptying yourself of everything so that God can be all. And this pride sneaks its way in and causes a lid to be placed on everything that we see and want and desire, which makes it what's all super frustrating, right? It's not that you don't want God. You want him, but you feel like you can't get to him. Pride is the wall. So let's take a walk down humility lane with the good apostle Peter, all right? So as we jump into 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to see um, four big areas that that we want to focus in on pride, okay? Pride in this area, this area, this area, and this area, and kind of build a little bit of an idea of what um, um, humility can look like in all of this stuff. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 5, let's pick it up in verse 1, okay? Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. All right, stop just for a moment. Let's, 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 let's unpack verse uh, 1. So Peter is writing this. If you've read the Gospels and you're familiar with the life of Peter, Peter, was he a prideful guy or a humble guy? Prideful, right? Full of pride. Peter thought he was the biggest, strongest, smartest guy in the world. He's so prideful, he tried to tell Jesus he was wrong. That's either prideful or dumb. A little bit of both. He is walking in great levels of pride in the Gospels. But something happens in Peter's life. There's a switch that gets flipped in Peter's life. Where he goes from a man of pretty immense pride to a man of pretty immense humility. And verse 1, I think, gives us a clue as to what that is. Look at verse 1 again. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. I love the fact he calls himself a fellow elder. He doesn't call himself the Pope. Right? He doesn't call himself the rock. He doesn't call himself the leader. He's a fellow elder. He's walking in humility. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter is exhibiting humility here because he witnessed the sufferings of Jesus. He partook, he tasted the glory of God. Peter is humble today. Peter is humble when he writes this letter because he spent time with Jesus. He witnessed the sufferings of Jesus and he experienced the glory of Jesus. You can't be intimate with Jesus and be prideful. The answer for your pride is more time with Jesus. The answer for your pride is not focus on humility. Try to be humble. You ever tried to be humble? That does not work. You can't try to be humble any more than you can try to go to sleep. You ever laid in bed, staring at the ceiling? All right, I gotta go to sleep. Go to sleep. You look at the clock. If I go to sleep right now, I can still get three and a half hours. Right now, right now, right. it doesn't work. Neither can you make yourself be humble. How did Peter become humble? He spent time with Jesus. 
And as he did that, and he witnessed the sufferings of Jesus, he experienced the glory of Jesus, humility began to get worked into his heart. And you see here, so I, I preached uh, this passage back pre-quarantine, I guess it was February-ish, and did a little more extended work on this passage on pastors. You can go back and grab that one if you like. But I want to focus just for a minute here on the humility that he's calling these fellow elders to. Uh, look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not under compulsion. In other words, it's... Pride would say, I'm in control of my life. I do what I want to do. I go where I want to go. And God has to literally grab them and drag them where he wants them to. Not under compulsion, but willingly. A humble pastor is a man who would say, I don't have control over my life. I don't have say-so over my life. I don't get a five-year plan. I just wake up and say, Jesus, I do what you tell me to do. This is a humble pastor. Verse 2 also says they're not doing it for shameful gain, but eagerly. They're not pridefully trying to improve their own standing in life, but they're cheerfully just jumping in to serve and bless others. Pride would be, I'm doing what I can to, to improve myself and improve my standing and improve the size of my ministry and see how people view me, whether it be financially or, or, or whatever the case may be. He says, no, no, that's prideful and arrogant. A humble leader doesn't do it for that reason, but does it eagerly just to bless and serve others. In verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being example to those in the flock. They're not pridefully trying to make people obey them, but they're humbly just giving an example. They're not arrogantly looking and going, you have to be like this. They're saying humbly, let's just all follow Jesus together. I'm going I'm to be an example there. What he's calling here. For pastors, humility in church leadership is not domineering, not overbearing, not forceful, not under compulsion, but willingly, cheerfully, eagerly, humbly. As leadership walks in humility, that filters down into the rest of the body, which is where we get in verse 4, it's really interesting. I love verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When Jesus shows up, he'll make sure everybody gets what they need to get. Don't try to get it yourself. Trust Jesus. And as leadership, as, as church leadership walks in humility, it filters down into everyone else, which is where we pick it up in verse 5. Humility in the church body. Look at verse 5. It's not just the leadership but Peter now broadens it out to everyone. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So he starts out broadening it out first with younger people. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So this is true in broader just life. Anyone have kids specifically getting into teenage years? They just become smart in their own minds, don't they? Just brilliant little things, aren't they? They just know everything. And, and the truth is, 
Um, humility is not a strong suit for young people. Humility is something that gets worked into you through life. Humility comes through consistent time with Jesus, walking through difficult times in life. And young people just haven't lived long enough. They haven't lived long enough. I know when I, I pastored my first church when I was 23, I was an arrogant jerk. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was much farther along than I really was. And this is kind of a consistent theme in churches. A lot of times in churches, young bucks think they're farther along than they really are. And so what he's encouraging you here is this. You two are younger. Submit yourself to everybody who's older. Just submit yourself, whether to pastoral leadership and just people who have done it. Because even if you're stepping into this ministry and you're doing a great job leading it, the only reason you're able to lead it today is because someone ahead of you spent decades building what you're standing in right now. Humble yourself before them. Honor them. Respect them. So then it broadens out to everyone else. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Clothe yourself, literally wrap yourself in humility. What he's calling us to here is this. It is beyond important. It is necessary. It is, it will determine whether or not a church succeeds or collapses. If they're able to do what verse 5 says, clothe themselves in humility towards one another. I say often that every church, including this one, has a maximum three-month window of perfection. You visit here for the first maximum. It usually doesn't even take that long, but I'll give you a max of three months. You go, this place is amazing. It's nothing like my last church. It's awesome. And then after about three months, you start to look around. And you go, wait a second. These people are sinners. Why wasn't that on the sign? Someone should have told me. I'm telling you, welcome. Church membership, covenant church membership, is one imperfect person joining themselves with other imperfect people to try to create imperfect community, all for the glory of a perfect God. We do this long enough. If you actually try to get plugged in here, you're a part of a journey group, you try to make friends. You invite people over to your house for dinner. You connect with someone and you go grab coffee to talk about what the Lord is teaching both of you. If you do this, it is inevitable. There's going to come a point where someone is going to say something, not say something. Do something, not do something that's going to upset you. This is why verse 5 means everything. The question is not, are you ever going to be offended? The question is, when you are, when you are, are you going to wrap yourself in humility? That's it. The reason we jump from church to church to church is because we're trying to find a place that isn't going to hurt our feelings, and that doesn't exist unless you're sitting in your living room by yourself. And then your wife comes in and takes the remote, and it's all, all over again. The question is, when it happens... When it happens, are you going to clothe yourself in humility? Are you going to wrap yourself in humility? Or are you going to walk around offended and unforgiving and bitter 
and cold and demanding and fault-finding and rude. And I'm not saying hello because they didn't say hello and they did say hello. So I'll squeak out a hello. Remember, that verse we read at the beginning is embedded here in verse 5. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Do you want God to be at war with you? I mean, is that a life goal? I would say no. So he's telling all of us here, clothe yourself in humility. We are to constantly respond to each other in humility. I have messed this up more times than I could ever count. Do you have any idea... <laughs> Well, you're going to find out how bad of a sinner I am. I, I mean, I walk away from conversations and I just go, oh, that was not the way I should have responded to that one. I understand. I understand. But verse 5 tells me here, just like it tells all of you, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So clothe yourselves in humility. All of you, all of you, all the time, wrap yourself in humility towards one another. God will pour out grace on a church that walks in this. Every church splits, every church fights, every division and schism, you can find pride at the root. Maybe the issue is genuine, but the way it was handled was prideful. Look across the landscape of American churches, and I just see a lot of pride. And the sneaky thing about pride is, you never think he's talking about you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility. So then it goes down to verse 6, and so we keep on building. Humility in times of trial times of trial and difficulty look at verse 6 humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you first is this look at the first two words in that verse 6 humble yourselves we get two big ideas from this humble yourselves number one it does not say humble someone else Someone else's humility is not your responsibility. Your wife's humility, your husband's humility, your friend's humility, your boss's humility, your co-worker's humility, the person who attends churches with you, humility, the guy on the internet that keeps saying stupid things, his humility. None of that is your responsibility. None of that. None of that. It's not your job. But number two, what is your job? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. There's only one, every person in this room has responsibility for one person, and that is you. There isn't a single other person in this room you have responsibility for. Just you. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. In every situation, I want to encourage you, get before God 
on your face in your prayer closet and ask God, do I need to be more humble here? Show me where I need to grow in humility. Show me where I am still walking in pride. Show me where I am opposing what you want to do in my life or in someone else's life. Walk in humility. Always, 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 always make it a a first priority point of prayer in your life in any struggle or situation asking God where do I need to grow in humility here because I guarantee you his response to you isn't going to be nowhere boo you perfect right I can promise that's not going to be the answer humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. In times of trial, we oftentimes want to get out of it much quicker than God's ready for us to, yeah? And we are trying hard to get out from under that thing. God is saying, humble yourself under my hand, and at the right, so, so literally, so think about it like this, so talking about the hand of God, right? So he says, so imagine this is you. So he says, humble yourself under my hand. Humble yourself under my hand. And at the right time, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to do it. But it's in his timing and not yours. It's in his way and not yours. Sometimes it can be a good thing, but not God's timing. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, at the proper time, at the full time, literally it means when the time is ripe. You ever tried to eat fruit before it's ripe? Right? You could love, maybe you love bananas. Man, you eat three bunches a day. But it doesn't matter how much you love a banana. If it's not ripe and it's not time to eat it, it tastes gross. It doesn't matter how right and good something is. If the time isn't right, it's not proper to consume it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, he's going to lift you up. You trust him. Trust him. And I know for many, there are things that you've been trusting and waiting for the Lord for a long time. Marriages and kids and You've been waiting for the Lord for a long time on something, and it can feel like forever. I know. But 1 Peter 5, 6 is still true. Humble yourself. Continue to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up. And it kind of explains what that looks like. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him, Because he cares for you. Times of trial can bring greater fear, anxiety, worry. I mean, again, 2020. Anxiety, fear. What's going to happen? What's the future look like? What does all this mean? And it says here, as you're walking in humility, cast. The word cast literally means to throw something onto someone, giving them the responsibility for it. So again, if you have kids, it happens every time we, today is going to happen, all right? You're, look for either my wife or I, typically my wife usually. She's not only going to be carrying her stuff, she's going to be carrying the things that belong to every child she's given birth to. Right? Eventually every kid just goes, can you carry this for me? 
And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. With your anxiety, with your worry, with your fear, you honestly, you look to Christ and you say, can you carry this for me? You just cast it onto him. Too many of us, we throw our anxiety and fear and worry onto Christ, but we keep a string attached to it so we can, like a yo-yo, bring it back to us. Cut the string, cast it onto him. And and it's neat, I'm going to take you to, to English class very quickly, or Greek class. As you look at verses 6 and 7, the word humble there is an imperative, right? It's a command. You are commanded by God to humble yourself under his mighty hand. That is a command. Then in verse 7, casting, it's a participle. it's, It's a descriptive word explaining what the humbling looks like. So literally what verses 6 and 7 are saying is this. Humble yourselves by casting all of your worries onto Christ. You ready for this brain twist? Holding on to anxiety and worry is actually a form of pride. Because in some weird way, you're thinking you can handle it better than Christ can. I need to hold on to it. I need to fix it. I need to control it. I need to manipulate it. I need to take it. He's saying, no, no, no. That's pride. Again, you want to experience the overflow grace of God poured onto your life. Cast all those anxieties and worries on to the Lord. Because he cares for you. Give them to him. Trust him with them. Let him do with it what he needs to do. And then verse 8, humility and spiritual attack. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. All right, let's look at verses 8 and 9 real quick. Humility and spiritual attack. So there are two prideful stances we can take in spiritual attack, and I think you see them here. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Don't be prideful and think that you're not going to be attacked. Don't be prideful and think that you're not going to be tempted. Don't be prideful and think that could never, ever, 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 ever happen to me. Um, Jerry Falwell, senior, um, he has gone on to be with the Lord, but he, Liberty University, um, got, uh, the, the religious rights, um, old time gospel hour, I think was his thing. Uh, so big Christian leader, 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, if you remember, so Jerry Falwell and Larry Flynn, the Hustler magazine guy, Larry Flynn, so they had a, a, a battle. So there was a cartoon about Falwell in Flint's magazine. So there was a lawsuit, and it went to court, and it was just a blow-up. And then after that, Falwell and Flint would actually travel around debating one another on college campuses about pornography and First Amendment and all that sort of stuff. And Jerry Falwell Sr. is on one of these trips debating Flint. It's highly contested, and they're out there, and Flint's foul language and calling them all kinds of names and 
And afterwards, they get off the, the stage, and they're, they're getting in their cars to leave, and Flint's hanging around, he's on the phone, and he realizes that his plane is being delayed. And uh, Falwell Sr. looks over at him and says, well, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to such and such town. He said, well, i got a plane, I'll just fly you there. Really? He said, yeah. So he hopped in the plane and flew him. And one of Falwell's sons was with him. He said, in the whole way flying there, they're talking about baseball and grow, where'd you grow up and what'd your dad do for a living and all this stuff. And then they landed and Flint got off the plane and said, all right, I'll see you next month when we fight again. And then they flew off and was done. And the son looked at Jerry Falwell Sr. and said, I got a question. What was that? Like, what was that? And Falwell Sr. said, son, Truly, there but but the grace of God go I. If anything in my life had gone different, who's to say I'm not in his spot and he's not in mine? I'm not going to sit here and think that I'm better because I have a different path in life. I know the Lord and God's grace is on me, and that's wonderful, but I'm not going to think poorly of a man because of what he does. He's in need of Christ. And when I read verse 8, I think that's so significant. You need to understand, there is an enemy who wants to destroy your soul, and there but by the grace of God will go you. Let's, let's don't be prideful and think that we're not going to be attacked, or don't be prideful about the fact that others are. We have a real enemy who wants to attack us. And then I think you can see the opposite Temptation in verse 9, resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Don't be prideful and think that you're experiencing some kind of unique attack. I see this also. People experience whatever it is. Go, You try to help them. You try to talk to them. Have you ever had this conversation? Someone is going through something. You try to talk to them, and their response to you is, you could never understand what I'm going through. And then they shut down the conversation and walk away. What's going on there? You're pridefully thinking. No one could possibly understand you. No one could possibly experience what you experience. No one could possibly know how you feel. And so that creates this nice little bubble where you never have to actually look yourself in the mirror. I may not have experienced what you've experienced, but I've experienced Jesus. Can I talk to you about him? We have an enemy who is roaring. And he's coming after all of us. And we must walk in humility in his attacks. And then you get verses 10 and 11. I just love the way that that section wraps up. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever Amen. God promises that, yes, even though you're going through a time of trial and suffering and difficulty, there's going to come a point. God is to be trusted, but he can come in and he's going to restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. To him is the dominion and the glory and the honor forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. So let's do this. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. I want us to spend a little time in prayer. and We're, we're not going to have the band come and lead us in singing. We're just going to have Karen come and 
play on the keys. And I, and I want to take just a minute, and I want us to spend some time in prayer. The key is not to focus on humility. The key is to focus on Jesus. The key is not to focus on humility. You can't chase after the thing. You must pursue intimacy with Christ. And as you pursue intimacy with Christ, he grows you in humility, just like Peter. Think about the humility of Jesus. He received stripes so that you can be healed. He became poor so that you might become rich. He became sin so that you might become righteous. He became the curse so that you might receive the blessing. He was rejected so that you can be accepted. Jesus lived perfect humility. And as we pursue intimacy with him, we begin to walk in that same humility. Jesus lived a perfectly humble life, and you growing in intimacy with Jesus, and as a result of that, growing in humility opens up the floodgates for God's grace to be poured into your life. This is the key that unlocks personal revival. This is the key that unlocks personal growth. Pursue intimacy with Jesus, and let him grow you in humility. He gives grace to the humble. So right now, this morning, I want to just lead you in a little bit of praying. First is this. Can you ask God to show you and convict you of the depth of your self-reliance? How dependent on you are you? You need to ask God to show you that. Because again, you'll trick yourself and to make you thinking you're not that dependent on yourself, but when really, really you are. So God, show us and convict us today how deep our self-reliance really is. Show us the level of our that is stopping us from running after you, God. Next, let's ask God to reveal to us the depths of Christ's humility. You only grow in the humility of Christ as you see, meditate on, and pursue the humility of Christ. God, 
God, show us. Give us a greater insight and revelation of the humility of Jesus. Just like Peter, let us us see his suffering. Let us experience his glory. Let us be changed. ask God to impart to us the power of Christ's humble life. We, as followers of Christ, we get to experience the fullness of Jesus' life. Galatians 2.20 says, it's no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith in Jesus, I get to experience and live out the humble life of Jesus Christ that is given to me as my inheritance by God my Father. And the same is true for you. You can live in, experience, walk in, manifest the humble life of Jesus Christ. You can spend every day growing more and more and more and more and more in intimacy with him. And as a result, growing more and more and more and more and more in his humility. This is yours in Jesus. Don't let the glass wall of pride stop you experiencing what you see and want to have in Christ. God, I pray that you would excite us, encourage us, embolden us for the the humble life of Jesus that is set before us and given to us by faith. Let us walk in this for your glory. And lastly, for those of you here this morning, Is today the day that you need to humble yourself before God and ask Jesus to take away your sin and make you a Christian? Today's the day to fully, completely bow your knee to Jesus and humble yourself to Him. Ask Him to take away your sin, change your life, and make you new. Just right now, say, Jesus, I submit my everything to you give you my life. Change me. Make me new. If that's your prayer this morning, we want to pray with you, encourage you, walk with you. After the service is done, I'll be up front. I encourage you to come forward and talk to me. I'd love to hear your story and encourage you in the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you That even through times of trial and difficulty, you allow us to experience an overflow of your grace. And that's going to come through humility. Allow us, Lord, to walk in your humility. Be changed by your humility, Jesus. And experience the overflow of grace that comes from living a humble life. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys so much. I love you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.
sky. Trace